welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender non-conforming people, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. So what's happening now is actually the police using this particular COVID law, um, the public health order, in order to crack down and, and destroy protests. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past, present and becoming, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we look at changes to both the structure and culture of policing during COVID-19. First, we speak with Tiffany Overall from Youth Law about the implications of a new bill which will significantly expand the reach of protective services officers in Victoria. Then, moving to New South Wales, we speak with Charlie Murphy from Pride in Protest about the police response to a protest against new state legislation proposed by Mark Latham, which aims to eliminate support and recognition for trans and gender diverse children in New South Wales school system. First, here's Tiffany from Youth Law. I'm Tiffany Overall. I'm the Advocacy and Human Rights Officer at Youth Law. Thanks for joining us on the program today, Tiffany. So today we'll be talking about expanded powers for PSOs in Victoria. Um, For some context, I mean, perhaps we could start with the omnibus bill and some recent changes, or I guess in a way walkbacks the Mm. state government has made to that bill. Mm. Yeah, so I think the omnibus bill was actually passed in its amended form last night in the upper house. Um, so that's uh, Tuesday 13th. 13th. And that's in its amended form. The government sort of listened to some of the community concerns in that space and they actually um, didn't go ahead with this idea of introducing preventative detention powers being given to a very broad range of uh, authorised officers. And so that that particular aspect of the bill was carved out and not part of the bill that was passed last night. So that... That, that is pleasing in the sense that that was uh, obviously concerning to many about, you know, potential um, breach of civil liberties and, uh, you know, the scope for, for abuse of people making decisions about whether or not um, people were likely to uh, breach a direction to stay at home. It just, it just was an incredible overextension of reach and power that was totally unnecessary and, and very pleasing to see the government as, as I said, listened in that space. That is a positive change. However, uh, there is also a second bill, a new bill that will permit armed PSOs, that's protective services officers, mm-hmm. um, to operate in any public space. That, that's a big change from just uh, operating around the transport network. Yeah, it is. Uh, and as again, I'm sure listeners are aware, when protective service officers were introduced quite a while ago now, it was very much for that purpose of being deployed in and around public transport areas, so train stations, etc. Initially, just at night, actually, I think was the initial rollout of the scheme. And what we've seen, sort of over time, is that then you know then PSOs were staying in those spaces for for longer parts of the day, and then uh, back in April, we've seen um, PSOs sort of um, 
reach being expanded a little bit more and their deployment being allowed in various local government areas. And then with this most recent bill, um, now before the upper house again at the moment, um, there's a further extension of that reach in a sense that it allows for the chief commissioner to um, declare different um, community areas as designated areas where PSOs can be, and that that encompasses, uh, you know, sporting venues, um, shopping centres, um, and and crowded spaces. So it's basically saying to handing over power to Victoria Police to sort of nominate almost any space that PSOs uh, could be deployed going forward. What are the implications of this kind of change? What kind of things could happen as a result? Yeah, look, I mean, we sort of have concerns, obviously, around, you know, how that will impact on, particularly from youth law's perspective, the, the young people that we that we work with and support. We are concerned um, that there is a risk that this extension could expose what are already very over-policed cohorts of Victorians, um, particularly young people, Aboriginal people, um, people experiencing homelessness, etc., um, for, for further and un- unnecessary engagement in the criminal justice system. Um, we, you know, it obviously is an issue for us that, uh, you know, PSOs only receive limited training. And so it seems to be sort of a blurring of the roles of PSOs versus, you know, ordinary members of police. Um, it's like, it's almost like introducing a second tier of Victoria Police in a way, like lesser trained, potentially slightly lesser paid. And we're not quite sure exactly for what ends. Like there's not really been any evidence produced uh, to show the need for this sort of expansion and further rollout. We think it might just be more of <laughs> convenience generally for Victoria Police, but we're not sure. That raises some, um, I think, very prescient questions around the expansion of police powers mm. under COVID-19 mm. and whether those can be rolled back in future uh, mm. or are likely to be. Before we touch on that, though, you, you mentioned cohorts of people living in Victoria who are already over-policed. Mm. I, I understand that's already sort of coming through in some of the limited data that's available about who is being fined and why? Yeah, yeah. Look, we, we're getting smatterings. We've been calling for it for a long time, but now we are getting smatterings of data from Crime Statistics Agency, um, a little bit from Victoria Police and Fines Victoria. But I think the sorts of take-homes so far we've had from the data is that there obviously has been a, a spike happening in the fines being issued, particularly in the second round of stage three of lockdown and then going into stage four of lockdown, um, particularly while the curfew was operating. And of the people fined across Victoria, a very, very significant number, A, are under 25-year-olds. So it's it seems to vary whether you're looking at data to end of June or end of September, but it's hovering around somewhere between, you know, up to around about 40% mark around a 25-year-old. So that's very concerning. Um, and there does seem to be a disproportionate number of fines going to, yeah, people in the community born in South Sudan um, and Aboriginal people. Unfortunately, we we haven't been able to get a breakdown of 
ethnicity. So it's really hard to glean if there's any other targeting of different communities. The data just reflects country of birth, um, particularly, and, and obviously within those born in Australia, there'd be various ethnicities that we would just be very interested to see the breakdown looks like. Um, we haven't seen that yet. I saw some recent coverage where Youth Law's CEO was um, speaking about a couple of really concerning examples of fines, including I think there was someone with an intellectual disability who was fined mm. um, while doing legitimate exercise. And there were also um, two young people who were uh, from a refugee background mm. who were fined while responding to a request for directions from someone else. Yes, that's right. That's a sample of the types of situations we're hearing about from young people coming to get some support with their fines from us um you know and and beyond that beyond the cases we're hearing we're hearing of others in the in the wider community of young people living in residential care for example and out of home care being fined for being out of those facilities and it just yeah it just seems a little bit senseless in in that in that sort of approach it's not achieving any sort of safety objectives <laughs> um, and instead by taking such a sort of arguably punitive approach it's just dragging a whole range of um, quite vulnerable people into into a fine system uh, which is already broken um, and 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 these young people really have no capacity to pay the fines even if they were warranted fines um, it, it's just a bit of a mess I just think we there could have been a, a preferable sort of alternative approach, um, you know, and, and I think just that community health response had to be in the forefront of our mind in this space the whole time um, and, and we seem to have lost sight of that a little bit. So talking about those wider themes of, I suppose, the tension between policing and a public health-focused mm, response, mm. this bill around PSOs, if it is passed, do you feel like that these powers will ever be rolled back? Yeah, and I think I probably sh should have mentioned up front too. It's um, it's interesting with this bill. It's it's actually not been brought in sort of as as part of the COVID emergency response. It, it was actually an expansion of powers that was already sort of muted by government pre-COVID. So it's just it's almost coincidental that it's actually been tabled and debated. In Parliament now during this period, so it actually is is unrelated to omnibus, but in terms of the potential expansion of police powers, it it's relevant and related. So yeah, it was potentially going to happen anyway. It's just um, really interesting timing, I suppose. It seems a bit um, like major changes to the structure of policing in Victoria, sort mm. of under the cover of COVID. Yes, that's how we're sort of seeing it. That maybe there'd be much more candid, um, open community discussion and debate about such a structural change, you know, if you didn't have that sort of COVID layer or lens over it. And that's what it's important for us to try and just think about it going forward. So, you know, as restrictions ease and as, you know, we find the new COVID normal, whatever that looks like, is it the sort of setup we want in Victoria Police? Do we want basically... PSOs just present in every community space that Victoria Police just decides that they're conveniently deployed at. I mean, is that is that really what we were thinking of when when this scheme initiated? Um, so I, I do, you know, I do fear that it will be very hard to to 
to wind back these provisions. It's, they're not time limited. If this bill comes in, basically the Chief Commissioner will have those powers to to make declarations around what constitutes a designated area to include the sorts of areas I've mentioned and that means that PSOs can be deployed there and that won't, there's no sunset clause on it as such or it's just going to be a major change. So I feel, yeah, very concerned about how we do wind that back. So if a young person in Victoria is listening to this program Mm -hmm. and has some concerns about interactions they've had with the police, what's the best way for them to get in touch with Youth Law for support? Yes, we very much want to encourage you to to contact us. Obviously, in this environment at the moment, we're providing most of our information and advice um, over the phone or, or via email. So I would encourage you to just, you know, if you can jump online and just... Google Youth Law, you can sort of choose what's the sort of safest and most convenient way for you to contact us, whether that's by phone or email. It can be, you know, a confidential chit-chat in the first instance if you want um, or not. We can always organise a, you know, face-to-face chat as well online if if that suits you. Um, And so if it happened to be in relation to a fine, we would obviously, you know, explore with you what the circumstances were and then and then walk you through, you know, what merits there might be to you going through a, a review or challenge of the fine, um, what your expectations should be around that, what the process is looking like at the moment, what we're hearing about other cases, success or not in that space. So, you know, um, I just really encourage you in that first instance, not just to feel like oh, I've copped a fine, that's it, and got no avenue I think you know we'd really encourage you to have have a chat with one of our lawyers and just see if there's any way we can help you navigate that process. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you a discussion of changes to policing taking place during COVID-19 and you were just listening to Tiffany Overall from Youth Law speaking about new legislation which will expand the powers of protective services officers in Victoria. Next, we move to New South Wales and hear from Charlie Murphy of Pride and Protest about proposed legislation which would remove support and recognition for trans and gender diverse children in the New South Wales school system and the police response to a protest against this legislation which took place in central Sydney on October 10. My name is Charlie Murphy. I am a trans woman and I am with the radical queer group Pride in Protest. Uh, Pride in Protest also elected me to the board of Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras in late 2019. Thanks so much for joining us on the program today, Charlie. So today uh, we're going to be speaking about the Community Action for Rainbow Rights rally that took place, I think it was on Saturday, October 10, mm-hmm. in central Sydney. So perhaps we could start with Mark Latham's Education Legislation Amendment or Parental Rights Bill. Yes. Um, so the bill that Mark Latham is putting forward in the New South Wales Parliament is a incredibly reactionary right-wing bill that basically seeks to completely eliminate the right for any transgender, gender diverse kid in the New South Wales education system from accessing any sort of help that they might need at school, as well as banning the ability for teachers to help those kids 
and for any educational resource um, for that not to have any mention of of what it means to be transgender. Uh, so basically, if you're a trans kid at school, um, you have no recourse to see a school counsellor to help you with your gender identity. Um, a teacher is not going to be able to stand up for you in the face of transphobic bullying uh, and Anything that you learn in school, say in in sex education or anywhere else, uh, will not have any mention of uh, your identity as a as a transgender person. It essentially completely invisibilizes trans kids and removes any form of support that they could receive. Now, Mark Latham is proposing this bill, and it is currently going through a process of review where some MPs do believe that the bill uh, will die and the general sense is that the bill will not pass if it's put to the floor, although the New South Wales Liberals have not taken any position on it so far. What really concerns us about this bill and one of the reasons why we held the rally is because Mark Latham is a, a bit of a clown and he is in One Nation, of course, a large part of what this bill is is um, to be part of the culture war. It's to rile up the right-wing base of One Nation. It's kind of used as, as a cudgel for kind of populist right-wing support. Um, so as a response to that, we wanted to create a left-wing popular support that would stand in the face of that. So absolutely a bit of a dog whistle um, that will directly and hugely negatively impact some of the most vulnerable trans and gender diverse people, specifically children. Yes, I mean, it's more Um, of a bullhorn than a dog whistle, but yeah. I think that sounds accurate. (laughs) So moving towards the protest, I understand that it started with speeches at Taylor Square and then began to march towards Parliament House. Uh, but was cut off by police at Hyde Park. Can can you explain what happened? Yeah, so the fact that the rally went ahead on Taylor Square for the time that it did is something that actually at the moment in New South Wales is something that is slightly rare to happen just because of how incredibly repressive the police have been around protests recently. So the rally itself was deemed illegal. The police did take car to the Supreme Court over it on the Friday beforehand and they won that case Um, but we went ahead with the rally anyway. We all gathered very quickly at 1pm on Taylor Square and there was a critical mass of enough protesters that essentially the police couldn't pick people off one by one like they have in um, more smaller or less organised protests recently but what happened is that we didn't get to finish all the speeches that we had planned have all the speakers because at the end of the second speaker, the police started to move in with a megaphone, basically getting ready to fine or um, arrest people. So then the march was called then to march to Parliament House, but it very quickly became quite chaotic because basically the march started to get a little split up people were running to make the traffic lights as we were walking across different roads. And basically, because as we started getting smaller, people needed to avoid the police. So they did start running at Hyde Park 
the police stopped people from crossing the road to continue up to the north part of Hyde Park to get to Parliament House. And eventually what happened was that the front of the march was of such a size that the police had the ability to kettle people against a wall near the Starbucks near Hyde Park. Uh, and that's when things started getting really, really, really ugly. Um, kettling, for people who don't know what it is, is basically if the police encircle you often against a wall, sometimes not, and basically keep you in there and then start to, what they did in this instant was violently remove people from the kettle. They were they were pushing people to the ground. They were ripping people out of the kettle to find them. People were injured from the way that the police were acting here. And then basically a large number of people from that received a fine. Uh, and there was also two arrests. So in addition to the physical violence of the police at this protest. I also understand there was an LRAD, that's a long-range acoustic device, um, present at the protest and brought by the police. Could, could you speak about what those devices are and the impact of that on the protest? Yeah, so having an LRAD at a protest that is basically in an, a busy urban centre is an incredibly worrying thing for the police to even entertain in the first place. So what an LRAD does is essentially deafen people, uh, makes an incredibly loud noise to disperse a large amount of people from a particular location. Now, the protests that we held, the police did have an LRAD there at the protest suggesting that in some way, they might be entertaining the idea of using it. Now, Taylor Square is a really busy public thoroughfare where it is, you know. It's a place in Darlinghurst which is surrounded by businesses. Um, It's, you know, on the intersection of two busy roads. Uh, There are many people that, you know, live um, and, and, and visit that area and simply exist in it for the police to entertain the idea of using it to disperse a protest of 100 people that could permanently physically damage people who were at the protest but also people who were simply bystanders there is an absolutely disgusting authoritarian behaviour by the police. It is just obscene. I mean, you mentioned uh, restrictions to protest in New South Wales at present. How do you feel like this kind of behaviour reflects on opportunities to publicly express dissent in the time of COVID-19? Yeah, I think what this is about for the police is that it really is not about public health. It is the police not giving protest as a democratic right people engaged in that, the ability to basically determine for themselves their own ability to have COVID-safe plans, which um, which a large number of rallies do, you know, this being a left-wing rally, we're not the right-wing rallies who simply don't believe in the disease at all. Um, we, we do really make sure that we do not want these events to spread COVID, but the police, I think, have wanted to cracked down on protest for a long time and have become more authoritarian. I mean, we saw this with the police in Sydney before COVID 
And I mean, there are so many hypocrisies. It almost feels a little kind of cheap to even mention them. You know, some people were saying that they're watching ABC News and there was a story about um, the police, you know, finding and arresting people at this 100-person rally. And the very next story that came on the news after that was the fact that, you know, thousands of people were at the race course. The state and the police, they do not care about the spread of the virus. They care about keeping the economy running and crushing protests. That's actually what they care about because we know when COVID is spread, the places that it is being spread is in workplaces, it's in businesses. There is no proof that COVID has been spread at protests. And for the police to use this so cynically as a reason to crush protest is disgusting. I mean, the, the other crazy hypocrisy is that when they kettle people they put them into incredibly close quarters between the protesters and the police themselves so the police putting people in those circumstances is a COVID risk and it's also a health risk for the fact that they injure people and they hurt people in this process. So what can listeners do if they're concerned about this situation and want to provide support? I think one of the most important things at this time is because we know that we think that the bill is not strong enough at the moment to pass in New South Wales Parliament, what we perceive it as is a kind of testing the waters or a lead up to, you know, the reintroduction of a federal religious freedoms bill, that kind of thing. And what we believe is the best way to show as a force against that is to keep on being out in the streets and making our voice heard and say that we as a popular force stand against bigotry of any kind, bigotry towards trans children, bigotry towards trans people of any age. There is going to be a day in November, which is Trans Day of Remembrance, which uh, as a day in our calendar recognises all the trans people who have lost their lives basically before their time, whether it's from um, violence of any kind, you know, violence from individuals, violence from institutions or from mental health reasons. We believe that we need to observe these things and we need to be out on the streets continually to stand against these forces because in the midst of the crackdown on the right to protest and the environment of austerity that we are about to face, right-wing reaction may become a lot stronger in this country. So we need to be out for Transgender Day of Remembrance and make our voice heard. We need to take to the streets. We need to continue to say that we have the right to protest um, and stand up against right-wing populism in any form. And if listeners are interested in learning more about Pride in Protest or perhaps getting in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pride in Protest. Our Instagram handle is pride.in.protest and we also have a podcast. So if you search Pride in Protest on any of your podcast apps that you have, uh, you can have a listen to us there, which we cover a lot of different a lot of different political issues. That was Charlie Murphy from Pride in Protest speaking about the police response to a protest against proposed legislation which would eliminate support for trans and gender diverse children in the New South Wales school system. 
Earlier in the program, we heard from Tiffany Overall from Youth Law about changes to legislation which will significantly expand the reach of protective services officers in Victoria. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender non-conforming people. This program was produced and presented under Stage 4 Pandemic Lockdown from my home in Melbourne with the amazing support of 3CR staff, so a big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelion at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website. 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>